Welcome to Imagine This Podcast. A conversation show from Imagine MKE, where we talk to creative leaders in Milwaukee and beyond to highlight all the incredible transformative power of their work in our region. We hope that after listening to the pod, you'll be able to imagine our city's arts and culture ecosystem and all the awesome artists, organizations, and creative assets within it in a new way. I'm David Lee. I'm Lindsay Sheridan. And I'm Elizabeth Gasparka. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of season five of Imagine This Podcast. Elizabeth, Lindsay, how are y'all? Hey, David. Hey, everyone. Oh, look who it is. Look who it is. Well, well, well. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to start on, on, a, on a tone, but with both. <laughs> but, but you did. <laughs> with, with both snark and, and, and sadness and gratitude, I think you have some news you have to share with our listeners to start, right, David? I came in a little bit hot on the intro because I wanted to make sure that that my my excitement uh, was at a at a, at a at a high level to share this, you know, exciting news, but also I think sad for a bit bittersweet for all of us, right? So, for those of you longtime listeners of the podcast and also longtime receivers of the amplifier, know that this is my last podcast episode as I am leaving Imagine um, this week. In four short days will be my last day as the CEO of Imagine MKE. As of October, I will be starting as the Chief Philanthropy Officer of of the Ascension Wisconsin Foundation, where I'll be helping to make sure that all of our friends and neighbors have access to quality, compassionate care despite their ability to pay. It is it has been s- such an incredible honor to to have this role. This was not a, a an easy an easy decision to come by, but but the exciting news, the very heartening news, is that our board has named Lindsay our interim CEO. So so this podcast will still be hosted by the CEO of this of this organization, <laughs> and and Lindsay will be um, will be well capable of leading our our organization and this podcast into the future. So yeah, it's a bittersweet moment for Imagine. You know, we are admittedly a little bit heartbroken to say goodbye to you, David. Um, So earlier today, I decided to comfort myself by reading quotes about heartbreak. And so a few of them stood out to me and I thought I would offer them up in this this difficult time. So first, (laughs) the heart will break, but broken live on. Lord Byron. Lord Byron. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you got next? This one I think is going to really resonate for David. You don't die from a broken heart. You only wish you did. (laughs) Unknown. (laughs) Unknown. I think I might have said that. It was David. It was David. So finally, what I think might be the most poignant of of all the quotes about heartbreak that I read. Pain makes you stronger. Fear makes you braver. Heartbreak makes you wiser. Drake. Drake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks so much, Elizabeth, for those for those three quotes. You know, just if I can add one one more, as I've been sort of thinking about throughout this whole process, and and I love that that, that you've brought in Lord Byron, Anonymous, and Drake. You know, three major poets of our time. But I'm always struck by. I, I'm I'm always reminded of that of that Calvin, Calvin and Hobbes cartoon where where Calvin says I'm sorry Hobbes says to Calvin, 
if things lasted forever, would we appreciate how precious they are? And I think in some ways that is part of transitions, right? Is, is, mm. is you get to appreciate how precious, at least for me, how precious my time with all of you has been. Um, and, and I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for that. Okay. Move along. Too sappy. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously it's, it's an eventful summer for us, but some really good things have happened as well. We had the chance to regroup about season five for imagine this podcast and the good news is you're in store for a great season ahead. So let's uh, let's dig in a little bit to the framework that we've developed for the themes for Imagine This Podcast in season five. That's right. So we are taking this opportunity to frame uh, what we talk about here on this pod and so that it's really closely aligned with what we're up to at Imagine in general. Um, and so one of those first themes that you'll see today on the pod and for the next episode as well is the sustainability and innovation of the arts and culture sector right now. So in the face of continued wild and unprecedented change, how are people innovating? How are people building something new to test new solutions? And so we're going to learn a little bit more from our friends at the Chamber Theater today to that end. And I'll also note, we're, we're moving to two episodes a month. So you'll hear from us just slightly less frequently. So even more time to anticipate the next the next great episode. Um, but that also means that you can kind of look for a bit of a rhythm where there will be a, like a two-episode pair that corresponds with some of these themes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk more about the rest of the themes. So we have sustainability and innovation within the arts and culture sector. Yeah, and then Elizabeth and, and Lindsay will be talking to guests that are doing work in arts and economic development, particularly focusing on systems that help to contribute to, to the creative economy. There will be a, a segment on arts funding, both public and private, uh, coming up later on the season. And then furthermore, arts entrepreneurs, business owners, and creative economy employees. So really essentially talking about how artists are essentially the drivers of, of, our, of our small business economy here in Milwaukee. And then finally, and I think this is really something that, that we've been kind of focusing on here at Imagine, but we've never actually uh, put words to it, at least on this podcast in a, in a thematic way, but we'll, be address- we'll have guests talking about how they are addressing complex social issues in Milwaukee through arts and culture. And, you know, I, I think what, what's been really, really helpful about this thematic framing for our podcast's upcoming season is that in the past, you know, our podcast has sort of brought on guests uh, in kind of a Wild West style, um, <laughs> and which has, you know, is sometimes the best of us and sometimes leaves something to, de- to be desired. And I think having this framework for, for our listeners, our dear listeners, to engage with the guests and with the content, it's, it actually makes explicit some of the messaging that, that the organization is putting out there insofar as how this podcast is addressing strategic goals of our organization and how they're aligning with the work that our team is doing. And, you know, as a soon to be listener and, and proud supporter of the podcast of the hashtag imagination, I'm so looking forward to these topics and the guests that you all are going to be bringing on. Thank you, David. So before we get into a bit of a podcast farewell to David, we would love to invite you, David, to have an opportunity to reflect on your time at Imagine with us. Are there three things you'd like to share with us that you're most proud of? Um, 
you know, when, when I saw this script, I, I, I was a little bit uh, concerned about like not being able to make it through the, this highlight of, of three things, um, but I wrote them down so I wouldn't forget them. <laughs> so the first thing I'm, I'm the most proud of is our organization's pandemic response. And that goes from the day we sent people home to the artist relief fund that was launched a couple days after to the public arts, uh, I'm sorry, the public funding campaign for the arts that was launched in May of that year to the, to the work, uh, getting cares funding from the county into public art, arts organizations. And then the ending with the holiday relief fund. I mean, that full, that year, basically starting from March of 2020 to, to December of 2020, we were essentially a grant making and relief based organization. And that was not the the work that we were organized to do. And, and I know that that many members of our team have moved on since then. But I mean, it was just a, it was like a switch had turned and I was so mm. proud of our ability to be nimble in that way. I think the second thing that, that I'm most proud of is and this this is sort of a catch all for um, the engagement products that we've been able to put out there that have a the spirit of imagine kind of in it that I think that I believe that people feel and, and can kind of um, can, can can relate to right. So our launch party back in November of 2019, our summit from November of 2021. And in many ways, this podcast kind of lived that sense of joyful abundance and welcome and and, and, and inclusive spirit where we are putting ourselves out there in a way that invites people to get to know us and get to know our work and and hopefully helps people understand our sense of joy and fun and and sort of doing doing having fun while doing important things and then the third thing um is our people and and this goes from our our launch team back in 2019 to the team as it is constituted now everybody we have brought on i think has been able to live a part of the imagine mission and the imagine culture in a way that just blows me away. It makes me so proud of all of you and of the uh, mission we've been able to to do together. And I think in in many ways, that is essentially what stays resilient, right? That's the thing that we built together is this sense of possibility in the arts and culture world here in Milwaukee, a sense of connection in the arts and culture world here in Milwaukee, and hopefully a sense of deeper engagement um, with all parts of the network. Mm -hmm. And I am, when the, when the announcement email went out last week, I, I was really holding it together until somebody <laughs> sent a note about how impressed they were with the culture of the organization and, and, and kind of like taking a lesson about, or, or being inspired by what a, a truly people centered organization can be. And I was a blubbering mess at the at, at the end of reading that email, and it was the first time all day where where like the the well the 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 outpouring of well wishes just sent me over the edge. And and if that's if that's our legacy, or if that's rather my legacy of the first three years of this organization that that we had a a joyful people centered organization where our folks were doing meaningful work and inspiring people, then you know that was three years well spent. Here, here. <laughs> I'm just going to jump on since you used the L word <laughs> legacy. And the next thing on our agenda is to just share some brief reflections. And Lindsay and I 
we'll have ample space to reflect on on the mark that your leadership has left with us and with this organization moving forward. Because you're not going away. I mean, you're you're going away, but you're not you're not going to be gone. We're yeah, we're still right. going to be connected to you. And yeah, again, the legacy of how you've led this organization is going to continue on. But I just want to say as one of the newer members of this team who's been working at Imagine since late February, I can say that this is the most radically joyful and authentic internal culture I've ever worked within throughout my entire professional life. And I'm so grateful for that. I just, I can't say enough about how much it's empowered me and allowed me to really feel authentic in self and in role. And I'm just so, I'm so genuinely grateful to you and to Lindsay and Rachel and the team members who are no longer with us, you know, for the opportunity to be part of this amazing crew, this merry band of arts advocates, as you called yourselves. You know, along that line of being so people centered and please understand this not to be shade. <laughs> when I think about the, <laughs> when, I, <laughs> when, I, when I think about the things that we've accomplished in the last year and David's leadership role in them, I think what's kind of remarkable is that I can point to every a thing and say that thing was successful because those people worked on it together because David and Mac developed this way of, of being of how we hold meetings internally. This thing was this way because of the way that David and I worked on it together. This is then, you know, et cetera. And I think that's probably a pretty unique uh, perspective uh, for a leader to have. And I think David would agree with me. That's why I'm putting words in his mouth. I think he would agree that we are only as successful as the capacity to which he empowered everyone else to be leaders. I don't know if I said that right, but we're going to go with it. I, I mean, I'm putting words in David's mouth to some extent, but I think that he would agree that he has meant to build a space where he was not necessarily the loudest voice and that he knows his limits, right? <laughs> like he knows what he's good at. He knows what he wants to lean on others to be good at. He knows that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And so I think that that's pretty unique. And I think that sometimes in these moments when leaders leave, there's this highlight of the work that they did in isolation as if there wasn't a mm. team surrounding them. And I don't think that that's David, how David is reflecting on his own time or what he had ever would have envisioned for our work together, you know? So not to like decenter, <laughs> not to decenter <laughs> him in this moment. And I think that speaks to David's innate sense of connectedness <laughs> and quirky taste in like I think seeing patterns and seeing like how things are related in a way that sometimes feels like, what in the heck are you talking about? Mystical. Uh, <laughs> mystical. <laughs> yeah, that's the word. In both a fun and a, I think, intentional way. I think I, I don't say that to say David just says crazy things out of nowhere. I think he <laughs> sits and thinks and he goes, why is this thing the way that it is in this system? Or, and, you know, tries to reflect that back to us so that we are better sense makers. So more, more in the outro, I think. Mm -hmm. And soon we're going to get into our interview with Amy Sallet from Milwaukee Chamber Theater. But before we do, David, we just wanted to give you the opportunity to 
connect to the audience here for a moment, the listeners who've been with us, some of them since the beginning of the show. Can you share any thoughts on your wishes for Imagine in the next phase and the listeners out there? You know, I was thinking a little bit about this earlier today when I was walking Molly and, you know, we've done over a hundred episodes of this podcast. We've talked to a lot of people and I think my wishes for Imagine particularly are that, you know, somehow we can sort of mine all of the incredible insights from the podcast, particularly all of the arts and cultures are commentary because they all kind of fit in these five themes, right, that, that you all that, that you all have identified. And I think it really goes to show that when we have a, a product like this, where we're able to get in interesting people to talk to about arts and culture here in Milwaukee, that it really does highlight that we have all the answers, not we as an Imagine, but as, as a community have all the answers we need. And as Imagine, we have a unique role in platforming them, right? So I think my wish for Imagine is how it can continue to build on the great successes we've had over the last three years and and utilize all of this kind of like basically interview time that, that we that we've that we've had with arts and culture leaders here in our community and really activate on on the the insights that they've shared with us because they've all all of our guests have been incredibly generous with, with us right and i think as the listeners will hear when amy comes on the chamber theater is doing really cool things, right? So how do we continue to, to kind of like integrate all that, all that great content? I think for the network and for our listeners, I, I just want to highlight, and I know this is sort of my, my valedictory, right? The, the farewell to the imagination <laughs> that we are in a, in a pivotal moment right now in the arts and culture community. I mean, I, I heard a stat earlier today that, that something somewhere around the, the order of 60 to 80% of, I think, uh, regional theaters in the nation are presenting deficit budgets. Um, there is a incredible labor supply chain problem issue where folks are leaving their jobs and, and, you know, the labor force is changing. This is going to require our arts and arts and culture community to do new things in order to survive. Right. And this is about as direct as, a valedictory can be right, right. that like this is a, a incredibly unique time and we had kind of outlined this at our summit last year where i believe i believe and and i was you know in, in my in my time at imagine really kind of advocating this idea that the core of what we're doing is trying to figure out how to get people to love each other and to connect more and to engage more with each other because those interdependencies is the resilience that's going to help us get through this time. And in many ways, the arts and culture community has been, I mean, in many ways, the people leading these organizations and the individual artists and creatives that, that, that make up our, our network are so excellent and so incredible and so smart that, that when collaborating gets hard, they oftentimes break up, right? Instead of doing the hard thing, which is to, 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 to lean in. And that was the message we had shared at our launch event. Um, and it, as I'm going out, it remains the message, right? Is that we need to figure out a way where this community come together, partner new ways, build community new ways, and literally love each other in new ways. And, and, and if there's one thing that, that, that I can leave as a goodbye is that I hope you all love each other and I love all of you and I will be 
listening and sending email to the pod email uh, <laughs> in the future. So thank you all. Well, with that, thank you, David. We're going to jump into our interview with Amy Salat of Milwaukee Chamber Theater. Amy Salat has been the managing director of Milwaukee Chamber Theater since June of 2020. Her career focus has been in arts leadership and finding sustainable ways to evolve the nonprofit performing arts sector to be more inclusive and representative of the world we live in today. Prior to moving to Milwaukee, she was on staff with the University of Minnesota Twin Cities as the marketing and communications specialist for the Department of Theater Arts and Dance, a multifaceted producing and communications role with an emphasis on professional development for graduating seniors. Prior to that, she served as the Associate Director of Marketing for Chicago Opera Theater. Her professional experience includes theater, classical and contemporary opera, museums, higher education, special events, and website development. Amy has her BS in theater arts management from Ithaca College and her MPS in arts and cultural leadership from the University of Minnesota. After the break, Amy Salat. Welcome to Imagine This Podcast, Amy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, we're so excited to get to know all about you. Um, you're a relatively new leader to Milwaukee, so excited if people haven't had the chance to meet you during pandemic times for them to meet you via the podcast um, and hear everything that Chamber Theater is up to in the coming year. So we're glad to have you here. Thank you for being here. And as you may know, we love to start off our conversations by inviting you to reflect kind of more in person um, on an arts and culture experience that had a really deep impact on you, uh, could be in your distant past, could be recent, would love for you to share. Yeah, absolutely. So I have been a arts enthusiast my entire life. So I like to think I've taken a little something from every arts experience um, throughout my life, but I will tell a brief story that I think only very few people know that has very much stuck with me throughout my entire life, uh, which is my very first and only acting experience uh, in this world. Um, so at the age of seven, I played Gretel in The Sound of Music at this very small community nice. theater in New Hampshire. <laughs> um, and we were having a rehearsal one evening and we were ready to go to the next page. And I remember the director looking at me and saying, are you ready to go? And it was, you know, past the pages we talked about doing in rehearsal that evening. And I was seven and I was like, sure, absolutely. <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, great, go. And I realized that in hindsight, he wanted to start the song, Do Re Mi. And if you know that, Gretel yeah. starts the song with the note Do. Um, and I did not know that at the time, spoiler alert, I was not ready for the next page. And I ran out of that rehearsal room crying straight to the parking lot. And I told myself, never again, never. This is scary. The arts are scary. And I think what really stuck with me from that moment was the cast and the support that comes from the arts community. Mm. You know, these people that I didn't really know or 
wouldn't really ever see again, you know, they came and they found me from the parking lot and they told me it was going to be okay and that we were in it together. And I think that's what has always stuck with me and what attracts a lot of us to the arts is this sense of camaraderie and community Mm. and being part of something that's bigger than ourselves. So that's a, a small taste of seven-year-old Amy, which you will not see me on the stage again, but it's definitely <laughs> been a big part of my life. <laughs> wow. So Amy, maybe draw a line for us. How did you go from seven-year-old crying in the parking lot, feeling the unconditional support of your cast members to the managing director of the Milwaukee Chamber Theater? Yeah, great question. Um, So I am originally a child of a mom and pop shop. So I grew up in a pet store in New Hampshire helping my parents, Um, but I was surrounded by theater. My mom dragged me to the theater since before I could remember. Um, So once I learned that I was not meant to be on stage, I tried to find any way I could support artists because I've always been awed by people that are able to do artistry in ways that I can't. Um, So I was looking for a place to go to college, and I found uh, this degree in theater arts management, and I figured that would be the best for me because I knew I was going to be someone who wanted to love what they did. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I loved the arts, and I was not good at it, Um, not a born artist. And so I mixed my skills of loving math and people and spreadsheets with my love of art. And I went to Ithaca College for theater arts management. Um, I've been bouncing around a little bit since then, have tried out a few Midwest cities. So was in Chicago a few years with Chicago Opera Theater. And then I went over to the University of Minnesota where I thought I would try my hand in working with the next generation of arts administrators while I got my master's in arts and cultural leadership. Um, Fast forward to May of 2020 and this opportunity was presented itself and- what a time. Yeah, right? (laughs) Dropped in at a very special time uh, here in Milwaukee. Um, but I really couldn't pass up the opportunity, even with all of the challenges of that year, um, this size of institution, the vision and direction of Brent, it simply was not something I could pass up. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, Amy, I think a lot of your experience sounds familiar to me. I remember also thinking about going to college and having that moment of, you know, I'm a musician, but I'm not good enough to really be a musician. What I want to do is support artists. And I wonder if, you could reflect on how that materialized over the next few years. Like, did this is not an obvious path, I think, for a lot of people. So did you hear from others like, well, why are you not actually wanting to act? Why are you not actually wanting to do, you know, something that feels a little more clear to folks? I'm just curious if you had that experience, too. Yeah, I think what was helpful is really getting into organizations, interning and seeing the people that make productions go to the stage Mm -hmm. and realizing that the people that do the work behind the scenes, whether it be technical work or administrative or fundraising work, those people also have to be their best selves to support great art. And so for me, it felt like this wasn't the next step after being an artist. It felt like in my own way, my own artistry to start from the ground up and figure out what those support mechanisms look like and how we might better them with time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I'm hearing that you bring to the table in your leadership, a sense of wanting to create a cohesive internal culture and value everybody's contributions in an equitable way. So I'm just wondering if you can tell us a little bit about Milwaukee Chamber Theater. What are your impressions of the culture at this time? Give us a little illustration of that. Yeah, we're at a really exciting place right now. You know, Brent and I both started within the 2019-2020 season. Um, So we really had an opportunity to take a pillar of the community, MCT, and really take a step back and look at who we are now, where we want to go, and who do we want to be. So we have a very fresh, very dynamic staff right now. We have people that have been here for less than four years in almost all leadership positions. Uh, But we do have the backbone of a nearly 50-year-old institution. Mm -hmm. So we have so many supporters from all of the decades of MCT's history, but with a lot of the drive and energy to figure out what comes next. Who are our next patrons? Who are our next artists? What are the stories that we need to tell this year, but also five years from now? So right now it feels like a very refreshing place to be. And I think that everyone right now is walking the same path. And I think that is a really exciting place to be, especially when there are so many challenges externally Mm. in the performing arts world right now, to be having a really cohesive internal team really makes the world. (laughs) You're sort of touching on the elephant in the room. So we know that since the pandemic, you know, things have somewhat returned to normal in terms of people being out and about and actually starting to attend events again. But we're seeing that audiences, by and large, across the nation have not been returning at the levels that they were at pre-pandemic. So tell us a little bit about how MCT is is changing and adapting in the face of that uncertainty. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, first and foremost, always with programming, what we put on the stage, Mm -hmm. how we are reaching audiences. This year, our five plays were intentionally programmed to be appealing to traditional theater goers and non-traditional theater goers, Mm -hmm. um, as well as tap into some of Milwaukee's best multidisciplinary artists. So Mm -hmm. people that really run the spectrum of the arts here in Milwaukee. Um, So our opener for this season has original music by Classic for Where Did We Sit on the Bus? Uh, and our closer has DeMonte Henning playing the great Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, in the mountaintop. So we're trying to find stories that a wide spectrum of audiences will find they can identify with or learn something new from. You know, on top of that, I mean, we are trying to break down every door and every window to this organization to, you know, really flood the company with as many new patrons as possible. Mm. Um, So looking at things as simple as how tricky subscription models can be to non-theater goers and trying to rethink those processes thinking about what it means to walk in the door and feel welcome versus feeling invited into a space and try to make attending the theater as as exciting and as an event as possible. Because I think that's what we're looking for when we're coming back from the pandemic is not necessarily something that's always lived on the schedule, but something that we really want to do. Mm. Um, And we're trying really hard to work that into this season as strongly as possible. What are you thinking about as some of the areas where you want to 
maybe grow that sense of welcome more? I mean, that feels like a big, complicated question, but there's actual real tangible things of of how you make it happen in a space. What's on your mind for some of that? Yeah, I mean, I think it all starts with how people purchase their tickets. You know, so for this year, we have rolled out the Cream City ticket, uh, which is new to Milwaukee. It's essentially a gym membership to our organization. You can come Mm -hmm. to any production as many times as you'd like throughout the year for one flat fee, you know, and trying to figure out where do people make that decision to go to the theater and how do they actually transition from being interested to actually walking through the door. And on that note, you know, trying to figure out even down to the lobby space, what is inside that door when they get here. Mm -hmm. Um, So we started last year with little opening night gifts because we were able Mm -hmm. to host our traditional opening night parties. So sending our opening night audiences away with a little take home, something special. Um, This year, we're going to kick it off with our season opener with a tostada food truck outside the theater Mm -hmm. for audiences Mm -hmm. afterward. Um, So really trying to add a little bit of a twist, a little twist to going in the theater, a little something special, a little something that makes you want to invite your friends to go with Mm. you. I'm curious when you think about developing some of these experiential things that, that feel like really a really cool answer to the question of how to get people to come out to theater. Are there folks you draw inspiration from in other markets? Is there anyone doing that kind of thing? Has anyone tried that kind of thing here or is this really a new frontier? Yeah, I think that one industry that has, by necessity, really um, been part of the leading charge on this is actually the opera community. Mm. Um, So while I was in Chicago, I was with Chicago Opera Theater, and we had to try very hard to get new audiences in for opera, especially if it's in a foreign language, if it's lengthy, if it's Mm -hmm. not for families, trying really hard to break down the barriers to that. I think that Florentine here does an exceptional job of trying to do that as well, especially pairing their dinners with opera. Um, We all know that most people gather over food, music, and art. Um, And so wherever we can try to bring those three pieces together for people, I think we're going to continue to see positive results from that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So you're, you're touching on this, but I'd love you to just expand a little bit more about this or maybe zoom out for us. How do you see Milwaukee Chamber Theater as participating and in and supporting the creative economy of Milwaukee broadly? And then, yeah, in specific ways, if you have other examples. Sure. Yeah. I mean, MCT is one of the largest employers of professional artists here in Milwaukee. Uh, We take great pride in that. It's been a long part of our history and something that we're leaning into even more. Even 75% of our artists are live or work in Milwaukee regularly, another 10% from greater Wisconsin. So trying really hard to fuel the people that live and work here. We're also trying to do it right. We're trying to bring people in um, and serve them as the employer. So we made a very active decision in 2021 to make sure that every person that we employ is paid no less than the Milwaukee County living wage. That's something that is really important that we are able to keep artists here to keep them employed in art um, primarily. 
And so working with especially our union partners throughout the pandemic to make sure that everyone is getting the benefits that they need while work is paused and making sure that everyone pay is paid is essential to the work that we're doing, especially coming out of the pandemic. And I will tell you, as someone who moved to Milwaukee in of May of 2020, the third ward was quite the ghost town during that time. And this summer has really come back to life. And I know that a large part of that is the arts community here. Um, and you can feel it up and down Broadway, up and down downtown. You know that the city is alive right now and the arts play a very large part of that. This is a, was not on the prepared questions list, but I'm curious, being uh, new to town, what's your perception on how, how easy or hard it's been to plug into the theater community more broadly here, the arts and culture community here? You know, I, I think there's some perhaps stereotype that we as a sector lean towards disconnected and, and that's why an organization like Imagine needed to exist. But I also think that there's a lot of there's smaller pockets of folks who really understand their their fates to be intertwined and want to support a thriving theater scene here, especially. So I'm curious what your perception is on that uh, a couple of years in to Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, my situation has been a little unique because I have been saying I've been in the bunker for almost two years <laughs> trying to make pandemic theater happen. Yeah. Um, but I think that there has no matter what was happening before the pandemic, I think we've all had a little bit of a moment where we do realize that we are stronger together than apart. Mm. So it has been refreshing for me to have the camaraderie of some of the other arts leaders throughout Milwaukee to say, hey, we need to do this better. We need to figure out new solutions. What are you doing? Here's what I'm doing let's find a pathway. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that none of us really have the resources to go it alone at this point. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's actually been really nice to be a new arts leader here and have some of these companies support their ears. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, I wouldn't say it's not, not disconnected, um, but I think that we are finding pathways to work together. Yeah. And some of that is that, that on-ramp of so many people being new and mm -hmm. maybe being hungry for an opportunity to work together, but also still like you settling into the role, settling into the work. Um, but what yeah, an we'll interesting see. place to be in. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm excited to see where it goes from here. I know that, you know, the staff at, in the performing arts world, we've been, we're tired. It's been a long mm -hmm. couple of years. Um, and so I'm excited to see where these relationships really go when we have a moment to take a breath and build upon what we've been doing during the last two years. Mm -hmm. So, of course, it's an incredibly complex time to be a theater company and also to be a person in the world. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about how MCT is trying to address complex social issues of this moment, this time and this place. It's tricky, I will say that. We are really trying to tell as many and as many diverse stories as we can at this time. You know, our first production this season is the perfect example of this. You know, where did we sit on the bus is actually sparked from a real person's encounter in school, learning about Rosa Parks, being a Latino boy and saying, okay, well, there is this black and white paradigm 
where am I on this bus? Um, and really looking at people that have a, an identity that is a blend of multiple identities that is both distinct and distinct to themselves um, and trying to figure out where their place in the world is, where their place is in history. Uh, I think that's something so relevant to our community right now. And uh, you know, one of my, my personal favorites this season, we are doing uh, a world premiere production of Hoops, which is based on mm. Nicola Costa's Hoops Portrait Project. Um, she serves as our marketing director here, but is obviously a phenomenal interdisciplinary artist and portrait photographer. And that, I, I don't know what the impression on audiences will be because that play is still being written at this moment. But that is, you know, it's home born, it's home stories, it's from actual women here in our community and their relationship to their hoops, hoop earrings and their community. So that's really the work that excites me and I think excites the whole staff at this moment is trying to really align our work with the people that we are interacting with in the community and the people that we see in the community that are not having their voices heard mm. otherwise. Mm. Um, and that's really central to what we're doing. And I think you'll see a lot more of that coming from us in the future. Awesome. I think I love Be Free. Oh, yeah. <laughs> excited to see that she's going to be doing the, the music for that show. Yeah, Be Free will be doing original music for Hoops. So we've got uh, Classic doing original music for Where Do We Sit on the Bus. So I think it's going to be an excellent demonstration of Milwaukee artists, you know, and on top of that, bringing in Laura Gordon and Jim Rich for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. So trying to really run the spectrum of, you know, those, those new, cool, interdisciplinary artists that are really musically inclined and people that are titans in the theater industry here in Milwaukee mm -hmm. and show that there is extraordinary value uh, to all of those stories. Mm. I think what's most fascinating about the season that's coming up is it's this balance between some existing work, but a whole lot of new work and a whole lot of unknown. And in doing so, creating opportunities for Milwaukee-based artists to have the support and the infrastructure to create has that always been um, part of Chamber Theater's focus and mission, or is, does that represent a little bit of a, a shift in, over the past few years? Yeah, we've always had a very strong dedication to local artists, specifically developing the next generation of artists. Mm -hmm. We have a long history with the Young Playwrights Festival and the Monty Davis reading um, new play development. But this idea of drawing from non-traditional theater artists is something fairly new in mm. Brent's tenure as artistic director. And I mean, even this summer, Brent and Classic spent every Friday afternoon together writing new music together. And that is, awesome. is something that we have not prioritized in the past. And I think mm. that it really speaks to where we are as a community and what people are really interested in seeing and allows people like Classic a chance to be a theater artist. You know, he's mm -hmm. excited to get in the theater and, and he'll be on stage for every show. So, wow. yeah. you know, he's excited to dip his toes into this water as well. So creating mm -hmm. those opportunities for some of our, our phenomenal community members is, is a blessing. Mm. That's so cool. I love it. 
can't wait for that first show. (laughs) Well, Amy, this has been really wonderful. Before we let you go, we have just two more questions for you. Firstly, how can our audiences find you? How can they follow Milwaukee Chamber Theater? Yeah, so you will find us at milwaukeechambertheater.org. That is the main hub. We are down here in the third ward at the Broadway Theater Center. So feel free to stop by in person um, or see us online. We're on all of the social media platforms, even TikTok officially this summer. So make sure you follow us. We're doing some excellent highlights on these artists throughout the season. So there's a lot of behind the scenes things to enjoy throughout this year. Fun. So Amy, we always love to close our episodes by um, inviting our guests to imagine for a moment that they were the city's leader of arts and culture, like the ultimate leader of Milwaukee arts and culture, and that that gives you the power to make a change, enact a policy, something that would uh, impact the city and its arts and culture sector. So with that hat on of being all-knowing and all-controlling all leader, what would you do? Oh, such power. Uh, <laughs> I will be honest, it was a fairly drastic move from Minnesota to Wisconsin when I moved here, specifically in <laughs> state arts funding. <laughs> amen to that. Oh, yeah. Amy. Oh, Amy, if you knew how many times we bemoaned that in our office. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Minnesota had uh, the Legacy Act while it was there. So trying to figure out how to, I mean, even alleviate some of the weight from the individuals that have been supporting the arts here in Milwaukee, I think is extraordinary because Mm-hmm. individuals have been individuals and foundations have been the pillars of support for the arts community here in Milwaukee and we contribute to the same vibrancy that a sports team or a cultural institution would and and we need that support from the state and and we need it quickly you know we are part of what makes Milwaukee and Wisconsin great and without us we would not be the city that we are and so increased state funding is where I am putting Mm -hmm. my hat today Mm -hmm. (laughs) we will join you in placing our hats on that same totally (laughs) and we might even hopefully see you at a meeting soon that will (laughs) hopefully build build more coalition power around that around that really urgent ask in this moment absolutely yes it definitely takes all of us and we appreciate the hard work at imagine trying to make that possible Mm -hmm. and i appreciate the uh the nod to our deep jealousy of our minnesota neighbors (laughs) which you know so close and yet so far between 50th and I think first in the nation in public funding. Yeah, yeah, yeah just a couple hours away. And just unfortunately, <laughs> big shift, big shift in support there. Allegedly, Wisconsin has more lakes, though. So allegedly, <laughs> that is true. Yes, Minnesota, land of 10,000 lakes, but there are more here in Wisconsin, I'm told. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll take what we can get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been delightful to speak with you and learn more about Milwaukee Chamber Theater's really exciting season coming up. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
What an awesome and yet short interview with Amy. She's a true executive. <laughs> she, yes. She was so prepared, which was amazing. Um, and it was really nice to be able to connect with her after having heard about her as a new leader in town during the pandemic. Totally. And I'm so excited for their upcoming season. It just sounds really, really dynamic mm-hmm. and interesting and musical, which is lovely, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think, you know, obviously listeners, if you're if you're with us up to this point, you know, this is David's last episode. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it's really appropriate because in our conversation with Amy, she mentioned how the Milwaukee Chamber Theater has really tried to create an internal culture of care. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that's really been modeled by David as well in his leadership. And of course, that theater background, right? <laughs> you can take the guy out of the, out of the theater, but you can't take the theater out of the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, appropriate to have this exciting new theatrical leadership perspective to tag on to uh, David's final episode. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> that <laughs> that makes me think about one thing that I appreciate about David as we kind of move into a few closing thoughts uh, on, on his leadership here is uh, how present that history as a theater director is in the way he lives his life and is a leader now. Mm. I, I joke about that a little because he once shared with us a website for a production that he had staged and it was <laughs> delightfully existential <laughs> in a way that I think still reflects who he is today, just with slightly more reserve <laughs> than his, I think, like wildly ambitious and like deeply thoughtful 20 something year old self that was just going <laughs> to go for it. He was going to have people at rehearsals at 3 a.m. He was going to like, you know, look straight in the face of the conceit of acting itself and mm. uh, interpret that. <laughs> uh, and I think that that sense of curiosity still imbues how he is today. Yes. He's got a little bit more of a fine tooth comb in his editorial (laughs) capabilities, but same zeal, same zeal. Mm -hmm. So for listeners out there, if you're curious, we will link this in the show notes. It's memorialized (laughs) and David shared it with us. So I think it's fair game, honestly. I think it is too. Surprise, surprise, David. I hope you get lots of comments on it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This website from like 1998. Yeah. Um, oh, well, Lindsay, you know, you had the privilege of of spending the last three years working with David very closely. So I'd love to just take a few minutes to ask you a couple more questions about your time working together at Imagine. Mm, let's so, do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what was what was your first impression of David and how did that bear out as you got to know him or did it bear out? Yeah. Well, I remember my first interview with him was a virtual, virtual one. Um, I was sitting in a car in Washington state traveling for a friend's wedding. And I just remember chatting with him and thinking like, this is someone who really gets it. This is someone who, whose path in life makes sense with what the task at hand requires. And so that felt like encouraging. And and I definitely felt like, okay, this is a place I want to work at. In person, I was very intimidated. <laughs> uh, a little bit, a little bit hard to read in an interview setting. Um, very professional. Uh, always so with the suits. Always with the suits. And so that was that was a lot. But I, you know, 
something that I remember from the early days, the first story I imagined to this day is I think that David is someone who has captured the power of like naming what it is that we're doing and being intentional about repeating the thing that needs to be said. Mm. <laughs> uh, I think about, you know, it always became a bit of a stick for us, but it also was true and set the tone of this place that we work at, um, which was cultivating a sense of joyful abundance that, you know, in the course of his first few weeks of kind of acclimating to what this role is and what the sector is, I think he, he heard all of that and thought, well, then we've got to approach this work in a different way because the way that people are used to scarcity and fear. And, um, and so to be charged with being a leader of an organization and figure out how you want to chart that path and how you want to build this thing that like, yes, had the bones, but really didn't yet have the culture, didn't yet have the container in quite that way to name what you want that to look like is really powerful and fascinating. Mm. And I really admire that about him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Tell me more about how his leadership has impressed upon you what a leader of an arts nonprofit organization should be and how they should, how they should behave. Should be is an interesting phrase. (laughs) Um, And we're in such a unique position and that our day-to-day looks a lot different from an organization that's producing or, or presenting, or has a bit of a clear path charted for it. I think in that context, in that, in that world of a startup that David has done and led by example is, you know, kind of like I mentioned in the intro, relying on the strengths of those around him. When a good idea is, is brought up being the person that says, okay, and then what, or what does that look like? How could we do that? And that can be scary and abstract, and that's not the way that most people work, right? In a lot of other parts of this field and a lot of other industries, there is conceivably a known (laughs) of what it looks like to succeed in something. And so I think David as a startup leader has been humble, has not like asserted himself to be someone who knows all the answers Mm. um, and that that is really needed because there have been a lot of times when I feel like me in my role I'm like I don't know how to do this thing no one knows how to do this thing and sitting in that uncertainty and having a boss (laughs) that says well no one knows how to do this thing (laughs) (laughs) Um, can be at times frustrating but mostly encouraging mostly Mm. needed yeah Mm. I just (laughs) want to add to that that I'm struck by the incredible balance that David has achieved as a leader in a mixture of seriousness and levity with which he approaches all things. So, you know, everything from our group chat debates <laughs> to, um, to convenings, you know, that have a lot, a lot of metal and a lot of importance in the community. He just, he brings, yeah, a sense of fun, but also a sense of uh, real reverence and understanding of the importance of what he's undertaking. Yeah. And on that note, also reverence of like deep knowledge of whatever it is that he's interested in, Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a way that I can personally say I don't have, you know, like to hear (laughs) David talk about film yes, uh, or, you know, a recent movie he saw in such great detail indicates, Mm -hmm. I think someone who's just fascinated by the world and wants to understand it. And I admire that too. 
Yeah. Yeah. Very steeped in and has a really amazing memory as well for details. Right. Um, especially <laughs> film details for some reason. So <laughs> I'm going to miss his obscure film references so much, among <laughs> other things. Mm. Uh, what are you going to miss the least about David? <laughs> <laughs> we have to add at least one roasty question. Come on. Well, I think I won't miss his Legos on the desk (laughs) (laughs) action figures that inevitably add to the clutter. (laughs) Okay. So no more wrestling dolls and no more Legos, which are legit, like a health hazard. If you like put your elbow, place your elbow on one, any like weight bearing limb Mm -hmm. that touches Mm -hmm. a Lego is going to get an imprint at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. Take your toys and go David. (laughs) Get out of here. Get out of here, young man. <laughs> no, seriously, we will miss him so much. And we, we are will. so grateful for all of his wonderful leadership. And yeah, we celebrate his his legacy at Imagine and all the ways he's inspired and empowered us in our roles and in ourselves as well. Here, here to that. And you know, if you've made it to the end of the spot, <laughs> then you're a pretty good friend of Imagine. So we want you to know that this Friday. From three to five, we'll be raising a glass to David at Central Standard Distillery. Central Standard Distillery. Uh, On the rooftop. On the rooftop in the third ward. Cash bar. Come and have a drink. Cheers to David and wish him well as he heads off to heads away from us at the end of this week and off to uh, a trip, actually, in between. And then off to Ascension Wisconsin Foundation in October. Well. If you've made it this far, listener, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review, or contact us directly at pod at imaginemke.org. Imagine this podcast is hosted by Lindsay Sheridan and Elizabeth Gasparka. The show is produced and edited by Elizabeth. Our theme music was written and produced by Bobby Drake catch all the latest from imagine mke hit us up at twitter and instagram at imagine underscore mke or facebook or linkedin imagine mke thanks bye